Welcome to Adapter's Advantage, breakthrough moments that lead to success. Our podcast brings you insider stories of the moments that mattered, turning points on the sometimes rocky road to success. Here's your host, Mark Magnaca, president and co-founder of Alego, the workforce training and readiness platform built for distributed teams. Hi, I'm Mark Magnaca. Welcome back to the Adapter's Advantage podcast. Today I have Kate Holmes, the founder of Innovating Advice, as my guest. Kate and I met through a really cool coincidence that I'll tell you a little bit more about later on that relates to the great work that she does. But just to give you some background, in addition to founding Innovating Innovating Advice, she also consults with financial services uh, professionals globally. And her mission is to propel the global financial planning profession forward through her collaborative work, her podcast, the IA community, which is the Innovating Advice community for forward-thinking financial advisors. But by the way, she's a CFP professional herself, and she runs a cool program called the Video Creation Masterclass for Financial Advisors. So we're going to be asking more about that, but I'd like to start by saying welcome to the podcast, Kate. Mark, thank you for having me. So let's jump right in. Before I tell them the story of how we met, um, when, when people ask you the question, so Kate, what do you do? How do you answer that question? Yeah, Mark, I was thinking about this recently, actually, because I actually get to joyfully spend my days working with nice and fun financial advisors and financial planners who are overwhelmed and honestly, sometimes a bit terrified of marketing and innovating both themselves and their businesses. Wow. Wow. And you know what, what comes through with that? And it's, I think even as you're, you're saying it, there's people that can probably just pick up on that vibe um, that you genuinely enjoy this because they're people that you enjoy being with. Yes. In case that's you didn't everything. know that, that's not true with every job in America today. Or anywhere else in the world for that matter. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because I realize it's a global organization that you have with, with IA. So let's just roll back the tape a little bit. Um, and, and talk about where did you start your career? And can you tell us a little bit about your journey and, and sort of who influenced some of the thinking that caused you to go in the direction you went? Yeah, absolutely. And, and kind of tying in with that global feel. So I'm originally from Seattle, Washington, but it's rainy and dreary there. So I looked at a globe and I was like, how far away can I get? And I went to the other side of the world. So I actually went to university and graduated in Australia. And I got my degree in photography. So that is key because I have that creative side of my brain, which plays a big role in what I do. And then the Australian government kicked me out, had every intention of staying, but they didn't want me. So I moved back to Seattle and my mother actually owned a successful investment advisory firm. And so she hired me and quickly realized that I could become her retirement plan. And that's kind of a lot of weight to put on someone, but I got a ton of exposure from a very young age that most people don't get. I saw every single piece of the business from compliance to accounting. I did our reporting. I did all the day-to-day -day stuff. And it was fascinating to see this. And I got to go into companies and I fell in love with having these one-on-one -on -one employee meetings. Everyone from rank and file employees to executives and over and over again, they were asking me, you know, what do I do if I'm getting married or divorced? Can I buy a house? I have a special needs kid. My parents are getting sick. Somebody passed away. And it dawned on me, I was like, they're not asking 
what the Federal Reserve just did with interest rates <laughs> or what the S&P 500 did last quarter. You know, and oftentimes, even if they were successful, they didn't need financial products sold to them, or they didn't even need their investments managed in a lot of times. If they were business owners, you know, their assets were tied up in their pension plans or 401k plans and their businesses. So I spent a lot of years looking around and I knew exactly what we charged people in that assets under management model. I knew exactly the service we provided and I came to a fork in a road. I had an opportunity for this incredibly successful business being handed to me and I could have a wonderful life. And my mom built a lifestyle practice and traveled the world. And Mark, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I just kept thinking that there has to be another way and helping all of these people that needed help that could, you know, afford to pay for it in most cases. But again, don't need products sold, don't need assets managed. And so I became a CFP professional, which is a certified financial planner professional. And that puts all the pieces of your financial life together. And it took a while, but I had an epiphany. I remember exactly where I was on the on-ramp to the 405 freeway in Bellevue, Washington. And I thought, you know what? The business that I think needs to exist doesn't. So I'm going to start it. And wow. so in early 2013, I started a completely virtual fee-only monthly retainer financial planning business where I didn't manage assets because investments aren't all that interesting to me. And they're only one piece of that puzzle. Right. And so I worked with all kinds of people totally virtually in 2013. Can you imagine? Yeah, it's so interesting. Now, let me just back up for a second, because I think one part of this, I'm always fascinated by, by where the rub is and, um, you know, in your case, what was it about her business and the model, which obviously served her very well? What was the piece that you had um, a philosophical difference with, or that you just said, this just doesn't resonate to me? Was it the compensation model or was it something else? It was what we were getting paid for the service that we provided. And uh, just so everyone knows, my mother's my best friend. We talk all the time and she was my biggest fan when I launched. So she totally sees and agrees with all of this and she's now happily retired, but it good, was nothing. She did probably help pay for some portion of college and the right. like, right? All of it. She paid okay. for all of college. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. all right. But Mark, it was knowing what we were providing. And when I became a financial planner, I realized in order to actually manage somebody's assets, you have to know about the rest of their life. How do you know what their required return is if you don't know all these other pieces? And you know, if people don't have a, an estate plan in place, then you could do all this great work on the investment side and it could all you know, kind of go to crap if when they pass away, if things aren't done properly. It's so, it's so true, Kate. And I think almost everyone listening um, will know of or have had a personal experience. And, and I happen to have a lot of people in my, in my network and among my friends who are financial advisors. They're either in the investment side of the business, the insurance side of the business. But the interesting thing I've all, often talked with them about is in the same way that doctors specialize, right? And you see a certain type of specialist and they're very good at their, their area of expertise, but they really know nothing about another expertise, I find in the same way that in the example you just gave between estate planning and say, for example, life insurance and its related products and then yep. investments, they're very different disciplines. And very often the person that, that people hire as a financial planner is really focused on looking after investments and investment related things. 
and very often doesn't talk about the, the life stuff or the estate planning because it's not their core business. And in the best yeah. of cases, you know, they have some kind of referral relationship. But the, the, the key notion I'm taking away from you is after going through the, the CFP, this notion of helping all the pieces fit together and realizing there's a business to help people manage putting all those pieces together. And it's not a one-off thing. That's not something you do once and you say, okay, I'll talk to you in 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. And it can't be. And Mark, I'll never forget as I was going, actually, it was right after I became a CFP professional. It was in uh, 2009 or 2010. And I was in an engineering firm doing one of these one-on-one -on -one meetings. And this gentleman walked in with you know, a three-inch binder. And he wasn't mad at me, but he was not happy. And he dropped the binder on the table. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> and he said, according to this, I have failed. <laughs> and it was a financial plan that he paid $5,000 for in 2006 that never projected the global financial crisis or yeah. 401k matches going away or property values, you know, dissolving the way they did. And so to your point, Mark, it has to be ongoing. And even if you think you have the rest of your life planned out, life happens and nobody even would have planned that you could, you know, rent out your house on Airbnb or you could right. drive for Uber in retirement, like all these things the world is continually adapting and innovating and you've got to have a financial plan that keeps up with it. What's interesting to the point that you've made is all these years later, when, when percentage of assets under management becomes sort of the standard, um, help me understand the thought process you had that brought you to the question around why are we getting paid this way and is there a better way? I think it was looking at the rest of our lives. I mean, this was 2013. So I already had a subscription to Netflix and you pay your cell phone monthly. And I had the gym membership. And I just kept thinking about how do we work in other industries and areas of our lives? And yes. why would that not be exactly the same in financial planning? You know, there's no reason that it can't be. And so I just kind of scrapped everything I knew. And I think I went back to that creative side of my brain. And I was like, if financial planning didn't exist, what would I do today to start it fresh? And so I did, I, I ignored everything I knew and I've never in my life created a, a traditional financial plan. I did everything in a modular way, which also creates a really sticky relationship with clients and clients need that because guess what? You don't know if you're going to lose your job or, you know, get pregnant or get engaged or have somebody pass away, you know, life continues to happen. So right. you need that relationship going on. And I wanted that. Well, it makes so much sense. It really does. So in a sense, you went away from saying, I'm going to charge um, for assets under management. You went to effectively a retainer model and yep. um, people could do this on a, it was a monthly. Did they get billed monthly? It was on auto pay. Again, oh, no. like we, like we pay so right. many other things in our lives. And did you find that that made them a lot more comfortable? Just call you up, say, hey, Kate, I'm thinking about buying a car. I'm thinking about like buying a house, even though you're not directly related to that. Yeah, it's actually really funny you mentioned that, Mark, because one of my favorite conversations was on Black Friday. One of my clients that I've been working with, you know, creating all their plans and everything, they called me on Black Friday and they said, hey, we're in a parking lot and I think we're going to get a really great deal on this truck. Does it fit into our financial plan? And I was like, how many people get that call? Like I was honored, you know, that we'd had so many conversations that they actually understood the impact of that car. And so I thankfully, because everything was online, I went and did some quick calculations. And I said, yes, if you do that, but then you can't take this vacation you're planning in four months, you know, and we talked through the trade-offs and everything. 
What's the most important thing you learned, uh, given that you started, you know, as a as a virtual advisor, if you will, um, between when you were at your mother's, when it was still an in-person experience and virtual. So forget the pandemic, just even before that, what's the most important thing you learned about interacting with people in a virtual manner and your ability to do the job well? Yeah, so the interesting thing, so I know I've kind of talked about the things I didn't like about her business, but right. going back to your point earlier about, hey, we're transitioning to assets under management. And that was innovative, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s. Yes. And her business started in the 90s. And back in the late 90s, she actually went paperless. And I would, I helped her go paperless. And I think there was an article in the Seattle Times. So that was something nobody else was doing. And the business was basically entirely virtual from the beginning. So for me to start a virtual business, I didn't think anything of it. So while I did in-person meetings for retirement plans and going into companies, right. all of our individual clients were virtual and they were spread out all over the country. And those weren't even video meetings. That was just through the phone, doing our quarterly calls and check-ins and phone calls and emails and newsletters. So, you know, I was like, of course you can do virtual and you can work with people from anywhere. Wow. Okay. Now this is right. I didn't understand that piece. So I'm just curious, where did your mother's clientele, how did she develop a clientele that was all over the country? Um, Cause most, as you know, most advisors, it's sort of community based or at least it was, and they, they yeah. tend to be, you know, because it was an in-person business, they tended to be, if you were in Boston, your people were within, you know, two hours or something. They, they may right. go to Florida in the winter, but the, 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 the way you first met them was somehow geographically connected in, as a gross generalization. How did she do it? Uh, her, her business partner was more on the Rainmaker side. She did all of the operations and back office. And he was from Montana, so had connections there. Honestly, some clients came from ski trips, like people that wow. he met just while skiing. And then if you <laughs> do a great job and provide a great client experience, they're going to tell other people. So yeah, we had clients from Boston to Alaska, to Montana, to you name it. So what's so interesting about that to me, Kate, is that and it, it resonates with my own experience that um, once you've met somebody, and, and obviously you don't have to have met them. And I, I would remind the folks you know, who, are, who are friends of mine from the, the Merrill Lynch's and the Morgan Stanley's, who in, in the modern time now are saying, you know, we just don't know how we're going to do this virtual stuff. And I remind them, say, let me tell you something. Just 20 years ago, I knew stockbrokers who had clients for 20 and 30 years. They were in New York City. The client was in California. They never met face-to-face. -face. It was a completely phone-based relationship. And it worked. Like it was, a, yep. it was a virtual relationship. It just wasn't visually virtual. It was auditorily virtual. So it certainly can be done. But what I'm learning from you is, is that even that first impression in your in the case of your mother with her business partner, he may have met them on the ski slopes. They, they you know the relationship began, and then her whole experience with them was virtual. And what you're telling me is that was not a problem. No, not at all. Because it's all about the client experience, right? Are you taking care of people? And just because you see somebody in person doesn't mean you're going to have a good experience. That is a great point. But let me pivot from this just for a minute and, and uh, ask you about a pivot point or, or even a moment of learning that changed your approach to, to running your business based around your life and really having a life and, and what our listeners can learn from your experience. Yeah, so I'd say 
as so often happens, it's usually a compounding effect of a couple of different things. So going into those companies and talking with people, I had hundreds of conversations with people that, you know, were right at the edge of their career, getting ready to retire. And I like to really get to know people and dive a bit deeper. And I would often take quite a while to talk about the financial side and spend time talking about the life side and time again. And there's a gross overgeneralization, but you would hear a lot of regret in people's voices. They stayed at the same job because they had to have the money because they had kids and the house and all that stuff. And couple that with some individual clients that we worked with heading into retirement and one in particular had a very successful business, just the nicest man ever. And he was just six months into his retirement, went in for a completely normal outpatient procedure, ended up getting an infection and dying. Mm. And so I just looked around and I was like, I don't want to wind up like these people. And I, I was like, I, life is for living now, not for living later. And when I started my business, the number one question I always ask clients is, when are you happiest? Not what makes you happy, because that can be a laundry list, but right. specifically, what are you doing when you're happiest? And I would always ask couple, couples this question separately, not even yeah. in the same room with each other. And I tried really hard to follow my own advice. And I was living somewhere I didn't want to live. I was in a relationship that did not allow me to be my happiest. And I was like, I don't want to be 40 years from now and just have all these regrets. So I was determined to build a business that fit around living an amazing life rather than squeezing my life around my business. So asking the question you just asked around what makes you happy and then thinking about where do you want to be? And, um, you know, it's so interesting when you stop and, and answer that question, because for most of us, the, the uh, quirk of where we were born becomes the central place we organize our whole life around, whether or not that's a good fit for who we are. Yeah. Yeah. And Mark, I'll just add to that, that my husband and I, when we're making big life decisions, so often people approach things. And especially, you know, if you have a friend or family member making a decision, you're always like, oh, well, why are you moving there? Why are you changing jobs? We like to flip that on its head. And every time we're looking at a decision, we start with why not? Because so often it takes you pretty quickly down a path that the only reason you're not going to leave your job if you're unhappy or you're not going to move is because you're scared. And then you think, well, maybe I should be pushing through that fear because sometimes the very best things are on the other side of fear. So true. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it, it, what's great is that for some people that may be a platitude, but both you and I represent people that have actually done that, who've said, no, I'm actually going to make a change and I'm going to change where I live. And, um, and guess what? Here we are. And we broke through the fear and uh, it's fantastic, right? And, and it, by the way, if it wasn't, then you make another decision and you go somewhere else or try something else. And that is the best thing about decisions, Mark, is you can always make another one. Absolutely. No, that's so it's, it's really, it's, it's refreshing to hear and what's so excellent Kate and when we get to the part about your speaking is that it's a message that people continue to need to hear because especially in this pandemic era it's so easy to get down and and sort of wonder like will everything ever go back to the way it was and and the reality is um probably but in the meantime what can you do to adapt and so Speaking of adapting, let's talk about innovating advice for a minute, because I, I want to help our listeners understand what this is, 
um, and, and what it means to them. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I actually started Innovating Advice uh, I truly have lost all sense of time, haven't I? <laughs> I guess it's a year and a half ago and heading into 2021, looking at what I wanted it to be. And to the point you just made about it's easy to get down and to get frustrated. And so often, whether you're in financial services or not, you're not going to be thinking, hey, these people are fun and innovative and doing cool things, but there are so many great people out there doing so many great things. So I started a community that I call locally based, so locally based in the US, but globally engaged. And that's to help bridge a lot of those divides and bring together those people that either want to be innovative or are innovative. But you know, like you were just saying, we get fearful, we want to, you know, do video or social media or, or something, but we all have imposter syndrome and we all get analysis paralysis and we're all better together. So if we yeah. can all come together and support each other in that and help to push that global profession forward. And then you mentioned earlier, I teach the video creation masterclass because I was doing video back in 2013. I mentioned I got a degree in photography. You know, it's, it's something that we're hearing a lot more about. But even if you're a brick and mortar store, even if you're a flower shop, you know, the power of video on your website to send video emails to clients so that they can see your face and see your expression is just so, so powerful. So I love helping people through that. And then for those very select, truly fun, very nice financial services professionals, I'll do a little bit of consulting. Well, let's dig in because I said I would tell the story. And, and the story very simply is that um, you sent out one of these videos. It was shared with me. And you had a little thing at the bottom of the video that said, you know, click here to learn more. And I watched the video and it was only 30 seconds long. And I thought, oh my gosh, she totally gets what I'm trying to do. And the system <laughs> worked perfectly because I responded and I never expected this. When, you, when I hit respond, the camera came on and said, what is it that you want to talk about? And I, I recorded the video back to you. And then we, we began from there. So you very much practice what you're, you preach. Um, I, I want to know just a little bit more about what's in the masterclass, I know you do a lot of cool things yourself with it. What's in the masterclass and what do most people take away that they can actually use after going through this masterclass? Yeah, the masterclass right now is specifically for financial services professionals, but we will be opening it up to um, other people in the next few months. So if you're listening and you're interested, hop on my website, do exactly what Mark did, and you can actually just hit reply, send me a video message and tell me you're interested. But Mark, the big thing with video, and you know this, where on earth do people start? Do you start with technology? You're nervous, you don't like seeing yourself, what do you do? And so we break that all down and we cut through that analysis paralysis. You're in a community with other people who are in exactly the same position as you. So we just drip out little bits of content so it's not overwhelming. We have one focus every week. And then at the end of the week, you record just a one to two minute video. Cause so often, you know, people can talk and go on and on and on. It's actually harder to do things short and sweet but then it builds that habit. So the first month we focus entirely just on getting comfortable in front of the camera. And we do a lot of fun things. So you're not worried about the technology stuff or the content. And then the next month we focus on that technology side. 
And the third month we focus on, okay, so what do you do with this? How do you create a content plan for the rest of the year and ongoing? And we've gotten great feedback. We've had people from all over the world participate, dozens of people in there, and they love that it, it builds that habit. Right? So if you're doing a one to two minute video once a week for 12 weeks straight, it's super easy to just keep going. And one person that actually just finished recently, we asked her for a testimonial. And I kid you not, the videos that she did, she posted on her website, and strictly because of those videos, she has gotten so much business that she doesn't even have time to send us a video testimonial. And I was like, well, if you could just do a testimonial saying that, that would be cool. <laughs> wow. Wow. Now, so, so I, I'm definitely a believer in the concept based on my own experience. Um, and, and I know for the most innovative uh, financial advisor types, they would get this. But whether you're someone listening to you happens to be a wholesaler what is your experience with with uh, professionals who say, I really would love to do more of this, but you know, compliance won't let us do this. What's the workaround to work with compliance to be able to harness this technology and, and use video? Yeah, so what we found, and that's another nice thing about just doing quick one to two minute videos. Also, we know humans have a really short attention span. And so if you do those videos, they're already done and then send them to compliance, then you know, we're not ever going to encourage you to say anything you shouldn't be saying anyway. So that makes it easier, right? Versus sometimes people try to write out a whole script and then it's easier for compliance to push back. But right. if it's already done and they see, you know, hey, we can see this, it's no big deal. And the other thing I say, because I do a lot of video emails, truly, that is exactly the same as leaving a voicemail. Yes. So if you're you know, sending a video, if you're allowed to leave a voicemail for a client, there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to leave or do a video email. So let me wrap up with this idea around the skills that you've learned. And so my question is, based on your experience, what do you see as the most important skill that you think advisors or listeners in general need to learn or improve today? Hands down, Mark, I would say confidence. One of the, probably the biggest thing that I talk with people about is that imposter syndrome. And one of the biggest challenges that a lot of firms have is, you know, people being willing to close the sale or have their first client meeting by themselves. And the power of building confidence is incredible. And I'd say I learned this lesson all over again. Last month, I took the month off and actually went and got my private pilot's license. And wow. boy, is there a learning curve and the rush that you get the first time you land an airplane, like it changed my entire thinking on the world. And once you can do that, you're like, all right, I can do anything. <laughs> wow, Kate, that is fantastic. Congratulations. How long did it take? I mean, did you do it in a month? I did. I did it in 28 days. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. And you had no prior flying experience before that? Nope. Started on day one and decided I was just going to focus. And Mark, that gets right back to building a business that fits around my life and I and saying, why not? And I didn't have a reason why not. I knew if I didn't do it now, I would make excuses and I would regret it. And so I said, I'm going to take four weeks out of my life and make this happen. And then guess what? For the rest of my life, I can say I'm a private pilot. So let me ask you this, if people want to learn more about you, Kate, or if they want to learn more about innovating advice or about the video masterclass, what's the best way to do that? 
everything is on innovatingadvice.com. And Mark, as you know, you'll go there, you'll see my face, you'll see that video. So even if you're not in financial services, shoot me a video, let me know what, what you took away from this podcast, and it'd be great to connect. So thank you, Kate, not only for being on the podcast, but for helping to raise the bar in the financial planning business, as well as in the business of using video to grow your business. Absolutely. Thank you, Mark. This was an absolute delight. Thanks for joining us this week on Adapters Advantage, available on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you visit our website, alego.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. If you liked this show, you might want to check out our virtual training kit to learn how to keep a remote team running at full speed. Go to alego.com slash virtual to download your kit today. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And don't forget, one new idea can change your life.